This is VOA1, The Hits. Welcome to Learning English, a daily 30-minute program from the Voice of America. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm Dan Novak. This program is designed for English learners, so we speak a little slower and we use words and phrases especially written for people learning English. On today's program, you will hear stories from Dan Novak and Katie Weaver. Later, Brian Lynn presents this week's technology report. Finally, Jill Robbins and Andrew Smith bring us today's lesson of the day. But first... A World Health Organization, or WHO, official who recently returned from the Gaza Strip said recently that the health care system is collapsing. He said more workers and supplies are needed. WHO Health Emergency Officer Sean Casey told reporters at the United Nations, I've seen the health care system collapsing before my eyes. Casey spent five weeks in Gaza starting in early December. While there, he met with medical professionals and patients across the territory. I saw patients in hospitals every day with severe burns, with open fractures, waiting hours or days for care, and they would often ask me for food and water, he said. Casey said a ceasefire is needed. But he also said the ability to move people and aid supplies safely and quickly within Gaza would help ease suffering. Reports say Gaza had a strong health care system with 36 hospitals and 25,000 doctors, nurses, and specialists before Hamas militants attacked Israel on October 7th. Now, the WHO says about 15 hospitals are partially operating. That makes getting care difficult for the more than 50,000 injured people. Casey said there is a shortage of supplies, but also of workers. Many of them are displaced and struggling to survive and care for their own families. There are unbelievably brave health workers across Gaza who are staying and taking care of people because there is no one else to do it, he said. Casey was in Gaza to see how to bring in more international medical teams. He said getting supplies to northern Gaza is especially difficult. During the five weeks that he was there, his team was unable to provide supplies to the largest hospital in the north, Al-Shifa, for 12 straight days. At Al-Ali Hospital, also in the north, Casey said the situation was very bad. I saw patients who were lying on church pews, basically waiting to die in a hospital that had no fuel, no power, no water, very little in the way of medical supplies, he said. Israel has accused Hamas of stealing aid supplies. Casey said he had not seen evidence of that during his hospital visits. 
I have no evidence of supplies that have been delivered to hospitals going anywhere except to those hospitals, he said. Dr. Seema Jalani is an emergency health expert with the International Rescue Committee. She returned recently from a two-week visit to Gaza with five British doctors. Jalani is a children's doctor who has worked in conflict areas, including Afghanistan, Iraq, and Lebanon. She said, In my experience of working in conflict zones around the world, this is the most extreme situation I have seen in terms of scale, severity of injuries, number of children that have suffered that have nothing to do with any of this. Jelani worked in the emergency room at Al-Aqsa Hospital in Deir al-Bala, the only hospital in the middle area of Gaza. Jelani said she treated children who had lost arms and legs and who had extreme burns. After she left, Jelani said, the hospital ran out of fuel and the lights went out. She does not know what has happened to the babies she treated or whether they have been moved to a safer place. I'm Dan Novak. A nonprofit group called Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists is again bringing attention to crises around the world with its doomsday clock. The group describes the doomsday clock as a measure of the risk of worldwide disaster. On Tuesday, the group kept its clock set at 90 seconds to midnight, the same position as last year. The group noted Russia's nuclear weapons activities during the Ukraine war, nuclear-armed Israel's war in Gaza, and climate change. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists considers midnight to be the point of total world destruction. The group says its clock is based on existential risks to Earth and its people. Those include nuclear threats, climate change, and technologies like artificial intelligence and new biotechnology. Rachel Bronson is the Bulletin's president and CEO. She told Reuters News Service that keeping the clock unchanged from the year earlier does not mean that the world is stable. The group said on Tuesday that dangerous trends continue to point toward disaster. China, Russia, and the United States are all modernizing their nuclear weapons. The group said that increases the risk of a nuclear war through a mistake or misunderstanding. Russia's invasion of Ukraine began nearly two years ago and has increased tensions with the West to their highest levels since the Cold War. An end to Russia's war in Ukraine seems distant, 
and the use of nuclear weapons by Russia in that conflict remains a serious possibility. In the past year, Russia has sent numerous worrying nuclear signals, Bronson said. Bronson noted Russian President Vladimir Putin's February 2023 decision to suspend Russian involvement in the new START treaty with the United States. That treaty limited the nuclear supplies of the two countries. The United States and Russia together hold almost 90% of the world's nuclear weapons. Bronson also noted Putin's March decision to send nuclear weapons to Belarus and the Russian withdrawal of approval for a treaty banning nuclear tests. Russian expert Sergei Karaganov last year supported threatening to carry out nuclear strikes in Europe to frighten Russia's enemies. Alexander Glazer of Princeton University is a member of the group's Board of Experts on Nuclear Technology and Climate Science. The picture is quite bleak on the nuclear side this year, he said. Nuclear-armed Israel has been at war with Hamas since the Palestinian Islamist group, based in Gaza, launched attacks in southern Israel in October 2023. Bronson said the conflict risks becoming a big war in the Middle East. Climate change was added as an issue affecting the clock in 2007. Bronson noted that 2023 was the hottest year on record since satellite measurement of temperatures started in 1979. She also said fossil fuel emissions continue to rise. Bronson said that 2023 was a record-breaking year for clean energy, with $1.7 trillion in new investments. But fossil fuel investments also totaled nearly $1 trillion. Bronson called current efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions not enough. She said the results of climate change disproportionately affect the poorest people in the world. The Chicago-based nonprofit created the clock in 1947, at the beginning of the Cold War. The bulletin was founded in 1945 by a group including scientists Albert Einstein and Robert Oppenheimer. I'm Katie Weaver. A fake voice message claiming to be U.S. President Joe Biden was recently sent to voters in an example of possible election disinformation. 
the voice message is an example of what is known as a deepfake. A deepfake is a piece of audio or video created to make it appear that people in it are saying or doing things that they never did. Newly developed artificial intelligence AI tools make it easier for people to make and publish such content. The fake voice of Biden was included in a political message sent by telephone directly to voters in the northeastern state of New Hampshire. This marketing method, known as robocalling, involves a machine that calls large numbers of people to play them a pre-recorded message. The calls are being investigated by New Hampshire election officials. The state recently held America's first presidential primary contest. Primary elections in the United States usually choose the candidates for the presidential election in November. It is not known who created the fake audio, which was heard by reporters from several news organizations. In it, Biden seems to try to persuade voters not to take part in the primary. The voice says voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. The message continues, your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. Voting in state primaries does not affect a person's vote later in the U.S. presidential election, which is set for November 5, 2024. The Biden robocalls even included language the U.S. president has often used in the past, specifically the phrase, what a bunch of malarkey. The phrase is used to describe something foolish, unreasonable, or meaningless. The phone message advises listeners to save your vote for the November election. It is not known how many people received the call with Biden's voice. Biden did not campaign in New Hampshire, and his name was not on the state's primary ballot. This is because his campaign decided to begin the primary process in the state of South Carolina instead. However, a New Hampshire state law requires it to hold the nation's first primary. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre confirmed the call was fake and not recorded by the president. The campaign for former President Donald Trump said it was not involved with the call. The head of Biden's re-election campaign, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, said in a statement the organization was investigating the incident and actively discussing additional actions to take. Rodriguez said the robocall was a clear attempt to suppress voting and deliberately undermine free and fair elections. Robert Weissman is head of the nonprofit citizen activist group Public Citizen. 
He said in a statement, the Biden robocall provided fresh evidence that the political deepfake moment is here. He urged governments to consider passing legislation to limit the use of deepfakes to prevent election chaos. Deepfakes created with AI technology have already appeared in campaign advertisements in the 2024 presidential race, the Associated Press, AP, reports. The technology has also been used to spread false information during election campaigns across the world, from Slovakia to Indonesia to Taiwan. Hani Farid is a digital investigations expert at the University of California, Berkeley. He told the AP the Biden robocall demonstrates how AI methods can be weaponized in elections. Farid added that recent cases of audio and video used to mislead voters is surely a sign of things to come. As AI technologies improve, governments around the world are seeking ways to restrict them from causing public harm. The U.S. Congress has yet to pass legislation to limit the use of such technologies in the political process. The Federal Election Commission is currently considering public comments on a petition for it to restrict AI-created deepfakes in campaign advertisements. David Becker heads the nonprofit Center for Election Innovation and Research. He told the AP the use of deepfakes is just the latest tool in a long history. Of dirty tricks aimed at influencing the political process, Becker added that the goal of such efforts can be to confuse voters to a point where they no longer recognize false information from the truth. They don't need to convince us that what they're saying, the lies they're telling us, are true. He said. They just need to convince us that there is no truth, that you can't believe anything you're told. I'm Brian Lynn. Brian Lynn joins me now to talk more about this week's technology report. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining me. Of course, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Your report this week dealt with some fake audio of President Joe Biden that was sent in a political marketing call to U.S. voters. Is there any information yet on the source of this call? At this point, no, there is not.、Um, the latest information I checked showed that the attorney general in New Hampshire, the state where voters were targeted, is continuing its investigation into how this robocall was sent out. And investigators also want to learn who was responsible for creating it.、Um, as the report points out, though, this kind of audio would not be that difficult to produce,、uh, even by someone without. High-level technical skills, and if officials are able 
to identify a source for the deepfake, what action could be taken against the person or group behind it? So this is a very complex issue. Um, currently, there is a lack of laws covering the release of this kind of material. Some U.S. states have passed legislation to limit deepfake videos, um, particularly those that include obscenity, but only a few have legislation to restrict the use of deepfakes used for political purposes, and New Hampshire is not one of those. So experts so far are not clear about exactly what legal action could be taken uh, against any individuals or groups found to be linked to this particular Biden robocall. All right. Thanks again, Brian, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you, Ashley. Welcome to the lesson of the day on the Learning English Podcast. My name is Andrew Smith. And my name is Jill Robbins. Thanks for joining us. Today's lesson will help you learn more about the English you hear in our video series, Let's Learn English. The series shows Ana Mateo in her work and life in Washington, D.C. Here's Ana introducing herself. Hello, my name is Ana Mateo. In our previous lesson of the day, we heard Anna going to visit a beekeeper, even though she is afraid of bees. In today's podcast lesson, we're going to hear her meeting the bees and learning how to care for them. In lesson 13 of our Let's Learn English Level 2 series, Anna and the beekeeper Caroline are putting on their gear to go and see the bees. Anna is afraid of bees, but like many wise women, she has decided to face her fear and try to overcome it. I have a feeling that your fear of bees will be gone soon. There are things beekeepers do to protect ourselves. For example, we wear protective clothing. This is a beekeeper's veil, suit, and gloves. There are other things we can do too. If I use the smoker, the bees will stay calm. Let's use smoke. Lots of smoke. Okay, Anna, that's enough smoke. Another thing you can do is stay calm. Okay, when I lift the frame, you will see the bees. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. Okay, let's put on our protective clothing. As we mentioned in our previous podcast, this lesson is about conditional statements. We hear Caroline using a type 1 conditional in this part. If I use the smoker, the bees will stay calm. A smoker is a tool beekeepers use to burn a small amount of fuel. It produces cool smoke that distracts the bees so they don't pay attention to what the beekeeper is doing. It looks like a can with a pointed top. The other new words we heard in this part describe the gear, or special clothes, beekeepers wear. Anna and Caroline put on a veil. That's spelled V-E-I-L. 
I L, which is a kind of thin white net that covers a person's head. You can see through a veil, but the bees cannot fly through it. In Western weddings, you might see the bride, the woman who's getting married, wear a veil over her face. The other gear they put on is a suit. It's also white and covers the entire body. So if the bees do get angry, they cannot find a place to sting you. And finally, they put on thick gloves. These protect the beekeeper's hands not only from stings but also from the heat from the smoker. We should probably explain the word sting here. That is what we call a bite from an insect. Let's go back to Caroline's backyard now and see how they're doing with those bees. Here we learn how the beekeeper handles the bees. Listen to see if you can understand the different kinds of bees Caroline describes. I will carefully take out a frame. This is where the bees live. There are worker bees, drone bees, and the queen bee. The bees have different jobs. The queen bee lays the eggs. The worker bees collect nectar and pollen from flowers and bring it back to the hive. Then they make honey. Now you hold the frame. There are the bees. There are so many. And they are so busy. Now I know why we say busy as a bee. Good job, Anna. She said she first takes out a frame. That is a flat screen with wood around the edges. The bees live and work on the frame inside a box, which serves as their hive. Hive is spelled H-I-V-E, and it means the home of some kinds of insects. Did you hear the kinds of bees? One is a worker. They are the ones we see flying around to collect pollen from flowers. That's the yellow dust inside the flowers that is food for the bees. Right, and pollen is what makes some of us sneeze when there's too much in the air. The worker bees bring it home to their hive and make honey with it. Next, we have the drones and the queen bees. I guess the queen is the big boss, right, Jill? Yeah. That's because she's the mother of everyone. She lays up to two thousand eggs a day. She just hangs around in the hive, and the worker bees feed her. Wow! And what do the drones do? They are just around to mate with the queen, so she can lay eggs. They might not even get to do that because the queen only needs to mate once. And here's a cruel fact of life: the worker bees throw the drones out of the hive. Before they close up the hive for the winter. Wow, that is rough. The poor drones. But it seems Anna has overcome her fear of bees. If she is close enough to see what's going on inside the hive, let's listen again to find out how her attitude has changed. Caroline, bees are beautiful and important. If I wanted to help the bees. What would I do? Great question. You can plant native flowers that bees like. Here's a book to help you know which ones to plant.、Oh, it's a beautiful book, and look, it tells you which bees like which types of flowers. It also tells you how the flowers affect the flavor of the honey. Flowers make a big difference to bees. If they don't eat, 
they won't live. Buying local honey also helps the bees. If you want to help bees, do those two things. I heard some more conditionals there. Let's see if our listeners can identify this one. Is it type 1, that is, with a present tense verb, or type 2, with a past tense verb? If I wanted to help the bees, what would I do? So that's type 2, right? The situation is possible, but it's not real yet. Yep. Let's try another one. If they don't eat, they won't live. That's type 1. The situation is real. And Professor Bott has an interesting comment. Remember, he's our little robot teacher in this series. He says, I learned a lot about bees. Hey, if I worked with bees, I would not need protective clothing. Well, that's true. Professor Bott is a robot, so the bees cannot sting him. That makes this a type 2 conditional. The situation is possible, and the main verb and the modal are both in the past form. But of course, we're not talking about the past time. The main verb is in the past form to indicate that it's a conditional, that it's not a real condition. And I think we've learned a lot about bees as well as the conditional forms today. Write to us about your own experiences with bees. You can email us at learningenglish at voanews.com. And remember, you can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm as busy as a bee, Dr. Jill. And that's our program for today. Join us again tomorrow to keep learning English through stories from around the world. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm 